Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Ain't It Fun Living in the Real World Edition. As the 3 1 Bengals, currently tied for first in the AFC North, look to add to the fun as they try to upset Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. Coming up, I'll talk to the host of Football Night in America every Sunday night on NBC. Not to mention the Olympics, Triple Crown horse races, and, well, you name it, he's done it, the great Mike Tirico. My one-on-one player interview this week is with a member of the Bengals who spent seven years playing with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, Mike Daniels. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news and share some keys to Sunday's game. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we find out just how serious all of the Packers' injuries are as we visit with Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press-Gazette. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since my incredibly good fortune last week. Beginning on the last Sunday in September, I called a Bengals road win over the dreaded, hated, but grudgingly respected Pittsburgh Steelers. Four nights later, it was the dramatic come-from-behind Thursday night victory over Jacksonville, ending on a game-winning field goal at the gun. And two days after that, it was UC's huge win at Notre Dame, ending a 26-game home winning streak for the Fighting Irish. To make that even better... My 15-year-old son Sam was with me in the booth at Notre Dame, making it a great father-son memory. To paraphrase Lou Gehrig, last week I considered myself self, self, the luckiest man, man, man on the face of the earth, earth, earth. Now, let's get to this week's guests, beginning with perhaps the most versatile broadcaster in the business. He is the host of Football Night in America on NBC and one of the most accomplished broadcasters of all time. He's also my college buddy from Syracuse University, Mike Tirico. Mike, here's my first question. When you and the crew are watching a Bengals game on Sunday, getting ready for Football Night in America, and you're observing Joe Burrow, what are you and Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison and Drew Brees saying about the Bengals quarterback? Well, first off, uh, it's great to be with uh, with one of the best. It's great to be back with my buddy uh, and talk to you here, Dan. So we watched the games, and the Bengals have, as you all well know, been in the 1 o'clock Eastern Sunday time slot a lot over the last several years. So in that mix, the Bengals game usually isn't the most important game, so it, it, it has not been in the most prominent spot, but that's changing now. So that alone tells you what's going on the first month of the season. What they say about Burrow is a wow. It, it really is. And I think Drew Brees really kind of caught my attention last week in just pointing out that there's there's just something about Burrow. As a matter of fact, we were in South Bend on Friday after the Thursday night game and talking just about what Joe Burrow brings to the table, that um, – guy who's proven himself to get to this point plays with that kind of moxie, that kind of poise. And we both remarked, and Tony Dungy has said this as well, just the, the way he handles being QB one. And that's not just on the field. That's everything. And I think you saw it in the post game Thursday night on NFL network. All the fans are there. Joe's there three and one. The world is great. It's like, Hey, let's, let's relax. We haven't done anything just yet. 
And that kind of poise along with the physical talents are going to be what gives Cincinnati another good quarterback for quite some time. I think the Bengals had a good one when Andy Dalton was there. There was success. I know people don't look back at that the way that they should, in my opinion. I think you're set up for another run that may even be better with Joe being there. Well, Joe will love hearing that compliment from Drew Brees since Drew was his favorite NFL quarterback growing up. Aside from Joe, what's caught your eye in this 3 and one start? You know, the, the pieces are there. Zach's done a really good job with working the pieces of this offense. You know, you, you have you have runability with Mixon, Uzama coming in the game. Obviously, Jamar Chase and Boyd, the receivers. Now you look at the field and you go, there are four guys here to get the ball to. So it's that. And then it's playing with the confidence. You know, Dan, I, I live in the Detroit area. I grew up a Jets fan. So I've seen firsthand for generations that uh, the inevitability that the anvil hanging over the team is going to fall <laughs> at some point, late third quarter, the inability to handle prosperity. And I feel this Bengals team has a different feel about it, that comfort with being in those spots, the ability to take that moment, seize it, and control the game. There wasn't a panic down 14 nothing at Jacksonville at halftime, and the team methodically came back. Like, we're the better team. We're going to get there. We're not playing our best. That, to me, is a maturity and a growth level in a team, and that's what I'm seeing, what, what I've seen from the Bengals the first month of the season. Three and one is great, but it's only roughly one quarter into the season. What would a successful season look like, in your opinion, for the Bengals? Yeah, that's the most screwed up thing of having 17 games. We don't know what the quarter pole is. We don't know what the halfway pole. Nobody can be a 500 team anymore. You know, what do we say? The league is set up for nine and eight or eight and nine. I, I think in this division, that's a good record because uh, Pittsburgh obviously is on an arc that's going down at this point. But certainly Cleveland and Baltimore are two elite teams. And when you look at those six games in your division, can you scratch four and two out of that? If so, that's a good year. And I think Cincinnati's relevance and quality make, makes it just that as well. So can you be in the playoff mix when we hit December? Because those games being played by Joe Burrow, by Chase, by everybody who's young in this organization who has, has not been through that playoff run, those are the valuable things. And if you can get there and with seven, it may be a little bit easier to get there than it used to be. That's great. I think the AFC West is strong. So that's going to be a little bit of the problem. The depth of the AFC West, the depth of the AFC North, a key injury one place or the other might see if three teams from one division can get in. Uh, but overall, I think let's get to Thanksgiving, December, still be very much in the playoff mix. That's a successful season to me. Big test coming up on Sunday with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers rolling into Paul Brown Stadium. Any early thoughts on that matchup? You know, Green Bay was a mess after week one. And then after a couple of weeks, you, you start to see, okay, they're not going to be that bad. But they're not at the level where they were the last two years where they went to the NFC Championship game. They are searching for that. On the defensive side of the ball with Joe Barry, their new defensive coordinator, I think they figured out who they want to be and what they can be over the last couple of weeks. And Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are just ridiculous. Along with Aaron Jones, those three together are so hard to handle. And I, I really think of Rodgers, you know, we have this category, Breeze now retired, sitting with us. You've got Brady and Roethlisberger and the quarterbacks who've been around for so long. You've got the guys in their prime, like Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford. And then you got all this young, great talent, and Joe Burrow's at the head of that list. But Aaron Rodgers isn't in that veteran group yet that he's just kind of managing. He still does magical things. 
there are two or three throws a game where whether it's Dungy or Breeze sitting next to them or us as fans, we're like, gosh, he's still unbelievable. And it's arm talent. It's the, the mental acuity. It's the ability to still scramble when you need to scramble. Aaron Rodgers will make four or five plays that the Bengals cannot be prepared to defend because nobody knows that's coming. Those are the plays that win games. Can Cincinnati get on them early, create an atmosphere where it's tough to communicate because they love to communicate. That would be, to me, the seeds of getting a win, a win that would open up a lot of eyes around the NFL to how real the Bengals are. Our guest is Mike Tirico from NBC Sports. You've called a lot of Bengals games over the years. Do you have a moment or a game that immediately comes to mind? There are a bunch. Uh, there was actually a Thursday night where we saw Deshaun Watson as a visitor breakout with a 50-yard touchdown. I'm like, whoa, really? And we saw how good he was the last couple of years he played after that. But a Bengal-centric moment has to be Monday Night Football Week 1, 2007 against the Ravens when Palmer to Johnson touchdown and uh, Chad Ochocinco Johnson, of course, uh, goes for the Hall of Fame jacket with the back saying, HOF class two zero question mark, question mark. Nothing better ever. That was the epic moment of celebrations for the Bengals and Chad taking it to a high level. My personal favorite wasn't a Monday night, was using the pylon as a putter and making the putt. I thought that was the all-time best for me. But to come over, have the jacket placed ready, wide enough to get over the shoulder pads, go to the back, show that what was on the back of the gold jacket. Think about all the planning that had to happen, and he still had to catch a touchdown for that. To do it on Monday Night Football Week 1, absurd, yes, memorable. Obviously, it's 14 years later, and I feel like it was yesterday looking down at, uh, at, at the field and saying, my gosh, what is he doing? That's pretty funny. So you don't have to think back very far for the next question. You called the Cincinnati-Notre Dame game last week in South Bend. Are the Bearcats worthy of legitimate consideration for a four-team playoff if they keep this up? It was my honor to be the second-best play-by-play guy on that <laughs> game after you calling it for uh, the UC fans on the radio. But, yeah, I, I think they are. I, I think they are. There are enough people on that defense at every level. What do you look at for a good defense? Every level of players, right? And uh, from Sanders to Beavers to Sauce, there are players at every level for UC on the defensive side and a, and a bunch of other guys to go with them, too. It's not just one or two stars. And you got a quarterback who's got it. You know, what is it? it it's, uh, it's that whole thing that I can't really describe it, but when you see it, you know it. Uh, Ritter has it as a quarterback. Um, you know, is he going to throw the ball through the, through the door, you know, and just break through the plywood of the door because he has such a huge arm? No. Is he going to outrun everybody on the field? A lot of guys, but maybe not everybody. But he's also got that intangible. And I, I think when you see a team that knows what's at stake and on the road, they blow a big lead and now it's a gotta-have-it drive and he leads you to a gotta-have-it drive. That, to me, showed me these guys can do it on this stage. I, I think they can. I, hopefully they can handle the prosperity. Uh, they'll move up to number four if they win this week because of the matchups in the polls and all that. And now they're there. Now everybody's going to be watching them much closer. It's on their plate. Can they finish the meal? If so, I'd love to see them in the playoff. I, I took my usual shot at the college football playoff. It, Dan, if five of us were investing in a company, would we say let's share the profits four ways? Of course not. So right at the very core of it, the college football playoff was set up in the most stupid fashion possible. The conference stakeholders didn't give themselves a seat at the table, guaranteed. That doesn't say anything for any of the group of five schools. 
Cincinnati, by their play last year, started out high enough this year to get a chance. Everything with that program, the way it's run, the organization, the administration, the support, the fans at home, the coaching staff, the radio play-by-play guy, everything is worthy of national championship contender level. Let's see somebody take a swing, and UC is the perfect school to do that. So I think absolutely they're in it for the run here, and I can't wait to watch. I'm pretty sure they don't consider the radio play-by-play guy, but I appreciate the thought. Last thing for Mike Tirico, how much fun was it last Sunday night to be in New England for Tom Brady's return? It was incredible, uh, plain and simple, Dan. You know, we we do a lot of build-up when you do pregame shows, and you're just like, man, this is, this is a little over the top. It felt really different. Uh, we opened the show. I got to do the walk that Brady was going to do from the visitor's tunnel out and down into the onto the field and i doing it at seven o'clock it was really cool i've got the chance to do a bunch of cool things that was one of the cooler things uh to take people behind the scenes to see robert Kraft waiting to talk to brady uh to see the people as he walked in the fist bumps the hugs it was an emotional night for the greatest quarterback we've ever seen going up against the greatest head coach we've ever seen and the game came down to this much uh i was on the field to watch the 56 yard field goal it had a thud to it in the wet conditions. It was hit hard. If that ball is this much further to the right, the Patriots win the game on a last-minute drive led by the guy who's supposed to be the next big quarterback in New England. Like, you write the whole deal up, and if you submit that one, you're like, nah, that's, that, that's not going to happen. It was one of the special nights in the NFL. I'm so glad the ratings showed that people were invested in it and care in it, and I think I care about it. And I think there'll be a halo effect, too, because I think people are so into the emotional stories and the exciting stories of the NFL this year, not just in New England and Tampa with Brady and Belichick and where they go, but around the league too. That had one of those magnetic moments that make you feel like, you know what, I can't miss what's going on in the NFL. It was uh, a night I'll remember for a long time and an honor and a pleasure to be on the field as Brady kind of ran out for the first time as a visitor. Mike, you're the best. I appreciate your time and your friendship. Keep up the great work. Same here. It's great to see you, pal. Great to have breakfast with you and your awesome son. And I look forward to a a lot of Bengals and Bearcats wins the rest of the fall. So be good, bud. I got to know Mike when he was a freshman and I was an upperclassman at Syracuse. And I knew right away that he was going to be a star. He certainly is. And yet he truly hasn't changed a bit. He's one of the most generous, thoughtful people I have ever met. Up next, Bengals defensive tackle Mike Daniels, who is currently on the Bengals practice squad. He was a fourth-round draft pick by the Green Bay Packers in 2012 and brings a unique perspective to this week's game. If anybody knows about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, it's Bengals defensive lineman Mike Daniels. You spent seven great years in Green Bay, were selected to the Pro Bowl, three times chosen by your peers as one of the top 100 players in the league, made it to two NFC Championship games. When you look back at those great years in Green Bay, what do you cherish the most? What I really cherish is just the um, my development, you know what I mean, as a player and as a man. Uh, anybody can tell you that the time you spend in the NFL is definitely going to help you grow and mature. And I definitely left a much better pro than I did when I walked in. And I definitely have, like, the similar feeling while I'm here. You know, just that development, constant growth, continue to be a better pro, better leader. You know, that's uh, I'm just thankful, you know what I mean, for my development there. I'm sure there were more number 12 jerseys in the stands, but there was a love affair between Packers fans and yourself. There were a lot of number 76 jerseys at Lambeau. Most of us will never know what that's like. 
What is that relationship when you have a fan base that, that really admires you like that? Well, I've been gone for three years now. This will be the third. And the last two seasons, they've been asking me for me to come back. <laughs> so, I mean, that tells you everything. Even now, I post something and I get at least, you know, five or six different um, Packers fans saying, bring him back, Aaron, GM Aaron, bring him back. You know what I mean? So, uh, that, that's definitely a, a wonderful feeling. And to have that type of love and appreciation and acceptance from the fans, that's that's everything. And once again, it's, it's I feel the same stuff that I feel with uh, Houday Nation, man. The way I've been embraced, the way I've been accepted, once again, there's everybody's like, we can't wait to see you back out there playing. We're looking forward to see you rolling again. So, like, it, it's, it's really cool to have that type of uh, really great relationship with uh, your fan base who supports you so much. We're chatting with Mike Daniels. Aaron Rodgers was your teammate the entire time you were there. You were there for his, one of his MVP seasons in 2014. What did you respect most about Aaron Rodgers? Uh, just his, the way he carried himself. He, he's a great teammate. He treats everybody the same. doesn't matter if you're uh, Devontae Adams' go-to target or you're a you know, rookie practice squad guy who they just signed. He's going to treat you the exact same way. And it's just that respect that he walks around the building with that I, <laughs> I greatly appreciate. When he was contemplating his future in the offseason, did you think there was a chance he would retire? I know there was no chance that he would retire. He ain't retiring no time soon. He's too much of a competitor. He's very smart. He knows what he's doing, man. Aaron, Aaron, he loves the game. He ain't retiring no time soon. Earlier this year on NFL Network, you said that Joe Burrow is a lot like Aaron Rodgers. You said that Joe is baby Aaron. Those were the words that you used. What similarities do you see? Joe definitely, once again, it's just the respect he has for everybody in the locker room, right? And I've been around long enough. A lot of rookies aren't like that. And for you have a number one overall pick to come in and, you know, understand what he has to do, the importance of his job. That's uh, He definitely takes everything seriously. Aaron's the same way. He knows when to, uh, he knows when to lighten the mood. Aaron's the same way. And he's a leader. Aaron's the same way. He, he definitely will make sure he brings the best out of the guys who are blocking for him, who he's throwing to, and who's, who's running the ball. And likewise, the defense. You know, our job is to get the ball back for him, and he makes you want to do that. We're talking to Mike Daniels. Aaron Rodgers is obviously not the only former teammate that's still in Green Bay. Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, the list goes on and on. Is your knowledge of those guys helpful at all this week? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think uh, David is playing – you know, and having going against him, that definitely would have helped. But uh, the, the other guy, absolutely. Uh, I know how those guys run, catch, uh, the guys play on defense. So you, you, you always want to uh, help be able to give your guys an edge. That's just how it goes in the NFL. And just I've, I've been inside those walls. So I know the guys. I know the the player and the person. And that, that, that definitely uh, de- definitely helps being able to help my teammates out here. You haven't been on the active roster yet this year, but it's football. Injuries happen. You're going to be needed at some point. How are you staying sharp, and how are you contributing right now? Well, so staying sharp uh, is just being a professional. I'm training, definitely uh, putting a lot lot of work in on the off days, uh, putting extra work in while I'm here, and practicing hard preparing for when my number is called because it will be called and be really being attentive in the meetings 
right? Staying on top of the game plan, preparing every week like as if I'm going to play, like as if I'm going to start. And I've been traveling every week. You know, I've been on the sideline every game. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the guys, and they, they've really been wanting me to give the pregame speech every week, and that's one of the biggest – that's the biggest compliment I've ever received as a player in 10 years. And for my teammates to still, you know, uh, view me as a leader, put me in a leadership role, and I, I really take that seriously, and I appreciate all my brothers here in this locker room uh, for doing so. I'm on the sidelines, definitely coaching guys up, helping out in all the ways I possibly can. Those brothers you referred to have been playing great. The defense is off to a tremendous start. When did you start to think it might be this good? Well, I knew that from the beginning, and I was saying that all in the offseason, where I could look at the guys we brought in, the guys who were coming back, and the guys who were healthy. So uh, I'm just looking forward for uh, the opportunity to be able to get out there and uh, physically contribute you know, to that uh, process because the guys are playing really well right now. They're doing awesome, and it's very fun to watch. Zach Taylor keeps mentioning your leadership. I know that's real. I appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today and look forward to seeing you back out in the field. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to getting back out there as well. At the age of 32, I think Mike Daniels still has some good football left in him, but when he decides he's finished, he'll make a great broadcaster if that interests him. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now, time to discuss some of the key storylines heading into Sunday's game with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. So Lap on Wednesday, while talking to Cincinnati reporters, offensive line coach Frank Pollock said that Joe Burrow has an aura that reminds him of a quarterback he played with in San Francisco. Four-time Super Bowl champion, Joe Montana. What was your reaction when you heard that? That was like high cotton right there, man. I mean, that's about as, as high a praise as you can get. And, you know, the original Joe Cool, you know, Joe Montana, I can, I can see it. I can see it in, in um, a lot of things, body type, demeanor, not a howitzer, but extremely accurate, uh, just in, intelligent, saw the whole field, diagnosed things, great pre-snap, great post-snap. I, I can I can see the I can see the comparisons big time, and when you he he just threw it out there that you know the aura the 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 presence kind of thing, um, self confidence, you know exuding uh, all of that it's it's very interesting and and Frank Pollock I trust him as an evaluator of talent as an evaluator of human beings I mean he played with him so he knows him intimately. And now he's been around Joe Burrow enough to get a pretty good handle on him. If Frank Pollock says there's similarities there, whew, that's stronger than new rope because that's a that's a great thing to have a guy of that caliber around here for who knows how much longer, hopefully minimum of a decade or more. That's the thing that was striking to me because we're not talking about an ESPN talk show. This isn't a hot take from Stephen A. Smith or Max Kellerman or Skip Bayless on Fox. This is Frank Pollock, who isn't generally effusive with his praise, talking about a guy that he spent nearly a decade with as a teammate in the NFL. In the locker room, in the in the uh, meeting room, on the football field, in the huddle, you know, everywhere, and to, and to be able to draw if to draw that that type of comparison that that's the name. That you uh, that you pull out of your your head uh, when you're trying to find somebody to compare Joe Burrow's demeanor to, Whew. extremely high praise, extremely high praise, coming from like you said uh, a very 
trustworthy source. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not anybody looking for shock value, looking for ratings, looking for whatever. The guy just telling it like it is. You know, right from his right from his heart and his head. Let's stick with Frank Pollock. He was asked a bunch of questions about Jackson Carmen and had positive things to say about Jackson in the first two games he started at right guard. But he saved his highest praise for the guy starting at left guard, Quentin Spain. For what it's worth, Pro Football Focus has him graded higher than Kevin Zeitler so far this year. Does Quentin Spain deserve more praise than he typically gets? Yeah, he loves being under the radar. Um, But I'll, I'll tell you, he is one big strong individual i mean he's every way you can be big broad thick wide i mean he is just uh he, he's a massive man and and when you when you you know pat him on the shoulder pat him on the back shake his hand everything's solid as a rock i mean there's nothing loose there you know he's not fleshy he is just thick and he is frank pollock described it perfectly i mean he's got some meat hook hands he gets his hands on people. He's got so much strength in his hands. He, he, when he locks on, boy, you're done. I mean, you're you're grabbed. You're <laughs> you're you're basically in in control of Quentin Spain at that point in time. And he he doesn't get bull rushed. You know, you don't see him you know getting walked back to the quarterback immediately. He is one big human being that can anchor himself and and uh, and yet people, you know, when when teammates and, and opponents even more specifically opponents when they say oh I mean when you hit that guy you've been hit and when he locks on you you can't get away he's strong he's this he's that when when you keep getting all the people with the uh, same evaluation it's a it's a it's a real deal at that point in time this guy is definitely a beast there's no question about it now you know is he the most graceful athlete in the world not necessarily but is he athletic enough hell yeah you know and, and he's a big strong powerful human being what I liked about uh what Frank mentioned about him as well was in the classroom um he'll ask questions he knows the answer to but he thought maybe Frank didn't quite get as deep into his explanation as he thought the younger guys might need so he asked a follow-up question and he knows what the what the subject matter is going to be what the answer is and Frank said I, I love that about him you know he's he's like He's helping me coach, basically. He's a fun guy to coach, and that's that's a big plus. So it's it's a unique room in that you got some young guys, but you've got some you know wily, cagey, veteran, intelligent guys like Quentin Spain, Trey Hopkins, Riley Reef. I mean, it's a, it's a good mix. It's a good blend, both you know mentally, experience wise, physically, all kinds of ways. UC's offensive line coach Ron Crook, coached Quentin Spain at West Virginia, says strongest human being I have ever met. Oh, man, I, I think he can bench press the stadium. <laughs> that would be impressive. <laughs> so Jonah Williams also spoke to reporters on Wednesday. He said something that made me think of you. He said the offensive line is like an opera or a dance where everybody has to be in sync. And he felt that was much better in the second half of the Jacksonville game than it had been previously. How much progress do you see along those lines? I see quite a bit. And, um, you know, I, I remember just back in the day when Jim McNally was coaching us and he wanted everybody stepping with the, sta- the same foot. And it, it, you don't have to do that to be, be a great offensive line. When you looked at end zone tape of the Oakland Raiders, Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, they were doing stuff a lot differently. I mean, they were just, they were just big brutes that beat you up. And there wasn't a whole lot of technique there. They just mauled you. <laughs> Footwork and all that wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, 
it, it wasn't synchronized, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I said earlier, 300-pound uh, June Taylor dancers, you know, you look, everybody's stepping with the same foot initially, and then the hand placements with the left hand in the same spot. You know, unless there are different shades of the defensive lineman and all that, that'll alter some things. But when they do their wide zone or their stretch play, it, it, it looks like everybody's, you know, went to dance class and they're taking the same steps and doing the same type of things and trying to get the same aiming point, the target to widen the defensive line. And um, so, so every, everybody's on the, on the same page in that regard. And uh, like you said, you know, my big thing is when an offensive line is playing like a fist, uh, you know, you don't have to think about wrapping the four fingers and uh, curling the thumb around it. You just, you just do it. And, and they're, Mastering the mundane, as Frank Pollock talks about, and and Jonah talked about, you know, you don't when the, when the play is called, you don't go to line of scrimmage and have to think about the first. It's just they do it so much, it just happens. You know, you just that you're just going right to that. You can you can get to something else during the course of the play that you might get your mind advanced to instead of having to worry about that first step or making an adjustment on that first step. So all all that is is really good. Um, and and he, I remember this with. With Bill Johnson, with Tiger Johnson, when I first started trying to do some of the techniques he was teaching me that you had to unlearn and relearn techniques, in the heat of battle, you'd go back to the old technique that you did in college, and it'd be like, you didn't even know you did it. You'd watch the tape the next day, and you'd go, oh my gosh, man, I can't believe I did that footwork. But in the heat of battle, that's what you go back to until you've gone through mastering the mundane and doing all the reps, you know, day after day after day after day with the new techniques, and then they become you know the thing that you automatically go to in your in your muscle memory, so it's uh, it's very interesting to watch the development of that. And as every day goes by, it's another you know bunch of reps added to the mix of mastering the mundane, and they become more and more more cohesive, and more and more like a fist. You know, instead of like you know two or three fingers being wrapped, they're wrapping four closer to five, and pretty soon four, and then pretty soon that thumb's going to wrap over, and they'll have a powerful fist. Let's move to the Bengals' defense. Eighth in points allowed, eighth in yards per running play, tied for fifth in yards per passing play, tied for eighth in sacks with 11. They had 17 all of last year. I can't believe I'm about to ask this question. Do the Bengals have a glaring weakness on defense? Boy, you know, when all hands are on deck, they're pretty darn good. And, you know, you like the fact that last week they were down a starting corner and starting safety. And they had enough depth in the roster to, you know, to make necessary adjustments and and hang in there and and, and win a football game on a nationally televised broadcast of uh, of the NFL. So, you know, I, I think I think that they've got they've addressed a lot of their <laughs> last week. Uh, excuse me, last year. I think there were more glaring weaknesses than there were things that mm. you could count on. Mm-hmm. Now it's now it's like everything's been addressed. Everything's been taken care of, you know. They've they've got they've got quality depth at just about every position group, and that's that's a uh, that's a real tribute to the organization, um, you know, the scouting department, the organization for for drafting them, and now the coaches for developing it, and uh, and the players for you know uh, becoming cohesive in a very timely fashion. I, I think not only did they get players that um, that can play. But they get players that know what it's supposed to look like, and players that came from winning cultures, winning traditions, and players that are, you know, from a personality standpoint, leaders rather than followers. They had too many players that 
didn't know what it was supposed to look like and, you know, uh, didn't know who to follow, never mind where to go last year. It was, it was a real problem. All right, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. Several years ago, the Bengals were getting ready to play a team that had one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't remember if it was Drew Brees or Russell Wilson or Brady or who exactly it was, but I distinctly remember being in the locker room. We're gathered around Adam Jones' locker. Somebody asks him if this great quarterback was the best quarterback in the NFL, and like this disgusted look on his face happens and he goes bro it's Aaron Rodgers it ain't even close what is it about Aaron Rodgers of all these great guys that it seems like people in the know the people in the game point to that guy as the guy you know you you look at all the attributes and all the boxes that that uh Joe Burrow checks Aaron Rodgers checks them and a lot of them are check plus you know it's like checks him like at the highest level you can check him at i just you know with with him is his intelligence his raw intelligence is unquestioned his football iq is unquestioned i mean he, he's doing things like you know as he's getting the call from his sideline he's looking at their sideline if they're trying to sub late he's going to quick snap and you know pick up the penalty um little things like the hard count he's the he might be the best hard count and by that i mean you know um a non-rhythmic cadence where he tries to draw the defensive lineman offside instead of a hut, hut, hut. He's, you know, he's and he, he's so good at it. And I mean, to me, it's it's it, repetition again, mastering the mundane. If I'm an offensive lineman, that's hard to hold your water when he's doing that. And you've got a defensive lineman who's got all his weight on his hand. And he's trying to you know sprint off the football, and it's like, man. You know, you want to make sure that you get a good jump too, but you can't. You don't want to blow the hard count opportunity. You may get a free five yards. I don't know how many first downs he's generated by penalty on a third and five or less with that hard count stuff, or making it. You know, third and eight, a third and three, which is or taking the free shot, or taking the free yeah. shot. No question. How many touchdowns he's thrown? Mm-hmm. Touchdown bombs he's thrown on the free shot because he knows no matter what happens, I've got five yards. You know, I, I, worst case scenario. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a replay of the down, and I'm picking up five yards. So that's a good starting point. I'll take whatever shot I can take. So he is he's masterful with that stuff. And then his physical attributes are – I've said it before. He, he, is, he is a guy that usually when you watch most quarterbacks, their feet and legs and arm and everything has to follow through in, in a perfect rhythm, in a perfect sequence. This guy can be running toward the sideline and be facing the sideline with his legs and upper torso and look down the football field. I saw him do it the first year we played up in Green Bay, and he just he's running to the left to the Green Bay sideline, sprinting. And he looks and he sees a receiver uh, breaking, it's probably like 35, 40 yards down the field out toward their, toward their bench, and he snaps his shoulders around and squares them up and doesn't even – do anything with his legs, continues to run toward the sideline, and throws a seed in a very tight hole. And they make the catch and tap, tap, and out of bounds. I was like, what? Did I just see what I just saw? I mean, that I've, I've never seen anybody make a throw like that. I don't care who the guy was, how strong his arm was, the arm strength, the accuracy, all of it. And then he can he can change the, the uh, velocity and feathery touch it. And he's just so gifted and the thing is, he's he's not a stiff either. He can run around back there. He extends, creates. I mean, he is 
the GOAT. I mean, Tom Brady's the GOAT because of the number of years and all, but I'm talking about from a physical standpoint. If, if the good Lord said, I'm creating this, the, the, a specimen here to show people how a quarterback should be able to throw a football, boom, Aaron Rodgers would be the guy. I thought it was amusing when I asked Zach Taylor today, during that time period where it was unclear whether he was going to come back to Green Bay or not, did you allow yourself to hope? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> he, he was honest. He was hoping that in week five, Aaron Rodgers was no longer a member of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and, and Dan, I think the only thing I can, can attribute Green Bay losing 38-3 to to New Orleans is because of all that stuff that went on with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it was, it was all too disheveled still. You know, there were too many uneven feelings about things and, you know, amongst even teammates, Mm -hmm. you know, Aaron in the front office. I'm not sure about the coaching staff. I'm not sure about how the players all. But the the whole atmosphere was, you know, there was there was too much poison that needed to be spit out. It was too it was too toxic. But they got through it and and he knew it. I mean, um, Lafleur obviously was disgusted. You know, I'm, I'm disgusted. And Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to throw everybody on the bus. We had a bad game. I'm not. I'm not giving up in this group. I think he knew, based on everything that he was observing, body language, inter- interaction between teammates and stuff, that they weren't quite ready yet to take anybody on. Uh, but boy, they've uh, they've gotten there quickly. <laughs> he certainly has. Haven't lost since. They've been averaging 30 points a game since. So they're 13-3 and three each of the last two years, made it to the NFC Championship game and lost each of the last two years, once at home, once on the road. It's not just Aaron Rodgers, obviously. What are the other key strengths of this Green Bay team? Well, in my mind, Dan, they have two, two tremendous workhorses as such. Devontae Adams leads the NFL in catches with 31, and he's fifth in yards generated and he is he's special. I mean, he's a he's a gifted uh, receiver, and, and the way he uh, beats press coverage, the way he breaks routes uh, at the top of the route is he's just he's a phenomenal route runner, just an extremely gifted player. And the other guy is Aaron Jones. Not only running the football, but Aaron Jones. It goes in terms of overall targets. The wide receiver group is first. Running backs are second. Tight ends are third. And the running back that gets targeted the most and is the most productive is Jones. I mean, he's he's second to uh, Adams with 13 catches, and he's got three touchdown catches. And Jones is uh, also rushed for two touchdowns, so he's a touchdown maker for him. And I think that's going to be a big factor in this football game is the yak and rack, you know, yards after catch, run after catch. If Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, if he can get Jones on a linebacker, and we've seen Joe Burrow hit people in stride and not make them have to work for the football, you know, stop, reach back, or whatever, and they have to start up again, just hit them in full stride. Aaron Rodgers can do that in spades. Mm-hmm. He hits Aaron Jones on the go in space. I think who's going to be the best tacklers? Which linebacker group? We have the young core of linebackers that have upgraded that position. When they get matched up on Aaron Jones, it's going to be big. It's an extension of the running game. You're getting the ball out. It's like a long lateral to a great back in space. And who's going to be able to to tackle and make plays? I think that's going to be a big factor in in the football game. And on the flip side, too, I think that, uh, you know, Bengals running backs can do the same thing on linebackers. Who's going to to win that particular matchup? Aaron uh, Aaron uh, Jones is is he's very very talented though he's he's about as good at it as as you can as you can 
get, really. So I, I think that's going to be a massive factor in the football game. And, yeah, who's going to make uh, – who's going to minimize the explosive? In part, and that's a big part of the explosive because, you know, a 50-yard play doesn't always have to be 48 yards in the air. It can be a, you know, seven-yard check down, make a guy miss, and off to the races for another 40. So – those are those are equally explosive. I, I think tackling in space when you get m- matchups that the offense feels are favorable, uh, uh, you know, a fleet, elusive running back in space on a linebacker, how much damage will be done? I am really excited about this game. If the Bengals can go to go toe to toe with the Packers, even if they don't win, I think they can show that they're a team that can remain in the hunt until the latter portion of the season. Yeah, and and uh, it's interesting. You know, this is these numbers don't mean anything because none of the very few of these players were involved in any of these. But the last three matchups uh, here in Cincinnati, when Green Bay has come to Cincinnati, it's been a multiple years between each one of them. But it's been you know a touchdown or less scenario. And Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback the last time, and then Terrence Newman, something like that, an unscripted score, a defensive score off fumble recovery. I mean, that, that's what you have to have to beat the Green Bay Packers, you know. And, uh, um, you know, I think turnovers are going to be massive in this football game. Um, you, you, you can't give Aaron Rodgers extra possessions. You have to take possessions away from him if you possibly can and give more to Joe Burrow. You don't want to go out and end that game saying Joe Burrow and the Bengals' offense only had eight opportunities and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers' offense had ten. No can do. And maybe it's fourth down again. I mean, the Bengals, to me, it's, it's, it's equivalent. If it, The drive that doesn't end with the kick like we keep talking about, a drive that doesn't end with an extra point, field goal, or punt, that's, that's big. That's almost equivalent to a turnover. It is. It, it's like fumbling at the line of scrimmage and the other team recovers it. It's just like a turnover. So the Bengals have done a, a pretty good job in that area too. Obviously, that was a huge factor in their, in their last victory. But fourth down, the opponent, they've had four possessions that have ended without a kick. The opponent's three for seven on fourth down. So the mm-hmm. Bengals don't have a ton of takeaways. I mean, they've only taken it away four times, but they have four additional stops of possessions, end of possessions without a kick. So in my mind, you know, that's closer to – you're talking about eight times, you know, you've put your offense in better position and, and with some momentum. I think, I think it's a big factor. Final thing. We did a show the day after the Jacksonville game, and we discussed Urban Meyer's decision to go for it on fourth and one or fourth and goal from the one. Obviously didn't work late in the second quarter of that game. You came down on the side of bad decision by Urban Meyer. I said, "Ah, I still think it was a good decision, even though the result was bad. Here's my question. Mm -hmm. You thought it was a bad decision. Was that Urban Meyer's worst decision that weekend? (laughs) I think one might have led to the other. I think it was. Oh my gosh! I blew that. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go chill a little bit. I'm gonna let my hair down and let everything down. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I, I can see. I, I can see why he did it because the defense is pitching a shutout. You know, it's like okay. You know, I, I, my defense is playing so well. Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put the. I can see why he went for it. But the defense is playing so well. I'd go up by three scores. You know, I. It, I don't know. But bottom line is, what he did after that decision, the decision after the decision, 
That's they, they should do ESPN should do a documentary on that decision, not the LeBron James decision. <laughs> Should do a documentary on the Urban Meyer decision that led to the decision that led to dead man walking that led to when is he going to get fired? There's odds on where he's going to have his next coaching job, odds on who's going to be the next head coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars. What a mess down there. And I do know that Bengals uh, defensive coach Mark Duffner had an opportunity. He lives in Jacksonville, had coached in Jacksonville prior, could have been the linebacker coach at Jacksonville. Thank Goodness, Mark Dufner came to Cincinnati and is not part of that nightmare down there because that's exactly what it is right now. It is a nightmare down there. It is a cesspool right now. Things appear to be trending up for the Bengals where injuries are concerned. Three guys that missed the Jacksonville game, Jesse Bates, T. Higgins, and Chidabe Awuje, all practiced on Wednesday. And Ricardo Allen was also cleared to practice after missing three games with a hand injury. Joe Mixon didn't practice after twisting his ankle versus the Jags, but he's considered day-to-day and hasn't been ruled out for Sunday. The picture is not as rosy for the Packers, who have significant injury problems. That's where we begin our Know the Foe segment with Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press-Gazette. He joined Lap and me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Yeah, uh, they've been hit really hard. The last two years, they have had great injury luck. I mean, that's one of the things that has helped them get to these two championship games was uh, and put up those 13-3 and three records was they were really healthy. And they did lose Bakhtiari right at the end of last year, and he's still on PUP, so they don't have him. But they, they uh, Zadarius Smith missed, you know, he's their best rusher by far, and he missed all but one day at camp, <clears throat> played like 18 snaps or so in the first game, and then he had back surgery last week. He's probably done for the year. He's a really important player. Um, basically, the guy they can't afford to lose is Rodgers. After that, it's Darius Smith and Alexander, and I just can't imagine Alexander's going to play this week. <clears throat> they're still deciding what to do, and they're trying to avoid surgery, which tells you he has a shoulder injury which tells you that this isn't just going to be a couple-week thing. He's probably going to be out for a little while, even if he doesn't have the surgery. So um, they're going to have to learn to play without their two most important uh, and win without their two most important defensive players for a while here. Yeah, that's a, that's a significant blow. Offensively, I, I guess my first question is, you know, the effect, the Aaron Rodgers effect when – you know, all, all that went on, will he come to camp, will he not, will he, is he going to retire? Well, that, that certainly is not going to happen. But the whole thing, is that the reason a 38-3 to football game against the New Orleans Saints took place? I mean, did, did, were the guys' heads just in, in bad spots? And, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, he basically coached LaFleur, said that was embarrassing, and Aaron Rodgers like, no, it's not, not embarrassing. We just didn't play well. We're going to be fine, you know, just like the R-E-L-A-X deal. And he comes out and, and they, they win three football games, averaging over 30 points a game. Was it the Aaron Rodgers hangover, the reason for the New Orleans debacle, or what do you think the reason was? You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were part of it. I personally think the bigger thing was, you know, he had a really good camp. They brought back, they, they did all these contract restructures to bring everybody back. You know, they came into this feeling like they've got as good a shot at the Super Bowl as anybody. And I think they went into that New Orleans game thinking they're just going to show up and do what they do. And, you know, New Orleans is just, you know, New Orleans was playing in Jacksonville. They were training in Houston. You know, 
I think they just thought they were going to walk all over those guys. Right, right. And they ran into a really, really good coach and just got crushed. And I think that was a real eye-opener for them that they can't just show up and, and win games. So I think that was the bigger factor. But I don't doubt that some of the Rodgers stuff, who knows what effects that has on guys, um, on guys' mentality. Well, like I said, Rodgers looked really good in camp. I mean, he played well as, as well in this camp as he's had in any camp. Not saying it was his best, but it was as good as any. So, um, you know, I think the biggest part of it was they just got really, really full of themselves. And they still haven't played great, but they've improved each week, and they're winning without Zadarius Smith. And now they have a real tough test against them against, you know, a Cincinnati team with a good young quarterback that's put up a lot of points and, and yards uh, early in the season. Pete Doherty is our guest from the Green Bay Press-Gazette. I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp, Pete, on the strengths of the Green Bay Packers. Obviously Aaron Rodgers first and foremost, but Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, etc. What do you consider to be their biggest question mark right now? Well, there's a couple of them. Even, you know, before all the injuries, their D-line is not real talented. Kenny Clark is, is a very good player. But after him, they just don't have a lot of talent there. Um, so I think that could be that was an issue early, and they played really well against the 49ers and not bad last week, but I still think it's going to be an issue as the season goes on, and they may need to go get help there. Um, their linebacker, inside linebacker position, Devondre Campbell's pretty good, but after that, um, if they go with two of the two inside guys, like in their nickel, uh, it's not so hot. And then the Alexander injury is just uh, devastating for their defense because he's a really good corner. And, you know, those guys are just like just as important as pass rushers. And behind him, you know, they're not so great either. So, uh, they, their first-round pick, Eric Stokes, has really improved a lot and since the start of camp, and he's their next best corner. And then they're – there's just not a ton of ability after that either. So um, there's a, the domino effect of, of losing Alexander is, is big too. So they, they've got a lot of weak, weakish points on their, uh, on defense. What about the, uh, the offensive line, Pete? You've got a couple of rookies, you know, at center and right guard. Uh, Billy Turner, I think, is, you know, I mean, the Miami Dolphins waved him, but he's, he's a battler and he's, he's had a very good NFL career in terms of year service. Jenkins with the ankle injury. How about Jenkins? Will he be able to go? And I, looking at uh, initially looking at some tape, I, I thought Runyon looked like maybe he was playing at the best level. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I didn't see enough tape. But what's the offensive line looking like? So Jenkins, he's missed the last two games with the ankle, and he did not practice today. He's a vet, so they'll give him all week. But the smart money says he won't play again this week either. Um, they're a young line. They got a rookie at center, uh, Josh Myers. They got a, a rookie at guard, uh, right guard, Royce Newman. Um, both those guys have been fine. Um, their line has played fine. It's, it's not an issue at all. You know, they're, I'm sure those guys are making mistakes as rookies that they won't make two years from now. But they both have ability, and they're both doing just fine. So their, their line has been okay. It hasn't been a big issue. It'll get better when Bakhtiari comes back and Jenkins can move to left guard and you know, if, if Jenkins doesn't play, Yash Nyman will be their left tackle. I'm sure you've never heard of him. Um, and he's they got to help him some, but he's done okay the last two weeks. And Turner, you know, they paid him a lot of money. He's averaging $7 million bucks a year. They signed him as a free agent a couple of years ago. And they overpaid to get him. But, you know, he's he's improved even in his time here. And he played a good game. You know, he basically 
you know, Watt had two sacks, but they were both garbage sacks. One was where he tripped Rodgers with his foot, and the other was where Rodgers ran around and slid, and Watt was the nearest guy, so he got the he got the sack. Right. Um, but, but you know, uh, Turner went against him almost the entire game and did a really nice job against him. So their line's fine. It's probably not quite as good as last year, but maybe by the end of the year it will be. They got ability there. And it's fine. Um, it's you know, it's not the reason for any struggles they're having. That's not the reason. A couple more questions for Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press Gazette. I'm amazed by Devonte Adams. He's not that big. He's six one. He's not that fast. Ran a four five six at the combine, but he might be the best wide receiver in the NFL. Why is he so incredibly good? Yeah, that, and all that stuff is true and made you wonder, but um, he's just got ridiculous body control. Um, he's really strong. Uh, he's really good at his cuts are so sharp, and he can stop and cut just on a, just on a dime like, like nobody else in the league maybe except for the, the really small guys. So he's a, got a little bit of size, and he plays like a little guy that way. Uh, he can sky, he can jump, and he's um, he wants to be great, and he's really dedicated to his craft and his uh, his chemistry with with Rodgers has is just you know there was a couple throws the other day last week against the Steelers where it was just like you know they were back shoulder throws and it's like there's no defending that you know I don't care who's out there on him um, so that that the timing playing with a great quarterback helps too but he's just he's just got a great mix of, of talent and want to and intelligence and all that stuff. Zach Taylor and Matt LaFleur were on the same coaching staff. Zach Taylor was effusive in his praise of Matt LaFleur. Has Matt LaFleur had any comments about Zach Taylor during the course of the week at this stage? You know, I don't know that he was asked about him on Monday, and I did not uh, see today's press conference, so I'm not sure if he was asked. But um, they do go back, and I know they're – it sounds like – I know I saw a quote from him somewhere, so that must have been today – where you know he still he considers Taylor a very good friend of his, and there's a lot of that in that league right now with McVeigh and Shanahan and him and uh, the guy down at uh, uh, White down in uh, Tennessee, so or not Tennessee, um, uh, Atlanta. So there's a lot of guys off of that you know all that those staffs that work together and they're all running the same system, and it's spreading like a wildfire. The league it seems like every week they're playing somebody that uh, Lafleur used to coach with. My thanks to Pete Doherty, and here's a quick reminder to tune in to the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. I'll be broadcasting a UC football game on Friday, so Lap will be joined by Wayne Box Miller. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.